I'm Guru Children. Uh, I will present an article today uh, that I'm working on. Uh, and it's available on the memory stick that you got out uh, the first day. Uh, and if you find time to read it, and you have objections or comments or suggestions, uh, I'm happy to receive it because it's still work in progress. Um, the paper argues that in, uh, in order to understand how flows of migrants do emerge uh, and how they change and then eventually maybe disappear, we need to identify the different sub-practices that make up the different migration flows. And when we do identify the sub-practices, can we start to see how migration comes to make sense to people who engage in it, then looking at one practice at a time. Um, however, migration practices can be very difficult to, to see if we only look at the way people behave, uh, the ways they organize migration. But in order to identify and see uh, these sub-practices, we need to investigate how it makes sense to the people who actually engage in it, and also how people think and reflect about it who do not engage in migration. So, um, and in doing this, I then build on Douglas Massey's concept on a culture of migration, and I illustrate it with uh, fieldworks I've done in Western Ukraine. I find it's useful to distinguish between flows of migration and practices of migration are two different uh, concepts. And then flows of migra uh, migrants, that, that denotes kind of the actual demographic uh, and spatial characteristics of migration. That means who the migrants are and where they go. Practices of migration, on the other hand, are used to refer to the actual ways of doing migration than including the ways that people make sense of migration. And flows and practices are in many ways interdependent, uh, but they're not necessarily overlapping. So that one flow of migrant can consist on several different types of practices, and one flow can be dominated by one practice in the beginning, and then gradually be taken over by different practices. And I think this is what we see when we see that flows tend to expand over time, and often kind of continues even after the original reasons for the migration, when the, the original reasons for the flow tend to disappear. People still continue to migrate, but then with different types of practices. In empirical studies of migration in countries of destination, the outcomes of migration tend to be very central to the explanations that we do. Um, and if we talk to migrants who have already left their countries of origin, Migration tends to seem inevitable. It tends to seem like it was the only logical thing to do. Uh, but most people do not migrate, and I think it's very easy to forget that when we look at migration in countries of destination. Um, and migrants go because this is what makes sense to them. Uh, but the people that stay, stay because that is what makes sense to them. And grasping how these people come to make sense of that, I think, is key to understanding why people go. Um, and decisions to migrants are, are then based on understandings of migration that tend to be shared in the social group. Uh, it's tied to how people understand also other social practices, and it's tied to what you feel is expected of you at different points and different phases of life. And then in the terminology of the practice series, then it's part of your cultural schema or the habitus. It's kind of, it's integral to the expectations of your life. 
Yeah. And these are cultural traits that you only find traces of if you look in countries of destination, while they're integral to social life in countries of origin. Yeah. There has been relatively little focus, I think, on culture in migration studies. And the one significant exception, then, is Douglas Massey's concept of a culture of migration. And here, culture, uh, he identifies a culture of migration as one of the central feedback mechanisms uh, in his cumulative causation theory. He uses the concept to describe uh, areas with higher levels of labor migration, and it denotes an ideology where migration is, is, is uh, increasingly sought by new migrants. It argues that after being abroad, migrants, they get a taste for consumer goods, for the good life, and they continue going abroad in order to secure this lifestyle. Non-migrants, they observe the return migrants or the visiting migrants, and then um, migration-supporting values are spreading through society. People, they learn not only how to migrate from migrants in the community, but they also learn to desire to migrate. I think this is a good description, an important description, of how migration, um, ideas of migration spread in some sending communities. However, in the areas that I've been working, mainly in Eastern Europe and Asia, this is only part of the way people think and talk about migration in high migration areas. Um, in these communities, people will also talk about uh, women that go out and earn money in prostitution. They will talk about academics that degrade themselves cleaning toilets abroad. They talk about elderly who die alone while their children are in a different country. They talk about children and spouses that are left alone while uh, the, spouse finds, the migrant finds a new spouse abroad. And this is also part of the culture of migration. And it's an important part in the way people understand and interpret their own options and, people, and also uh, the choices made by other migrants when they go out. So it's an interaction with culture that migration practices are shaped. Ideas of responsibility, of stigma, of success, they combine then with opportunity structures and opportunities that people have to make some uh, migration something that some people choose but quite a lot of people do not choose. Then I can illustrate this with an example from my own fieldworks in Western Ukraine. Um, between 2008 and 2010, uh, I conducted about 60 interviews in uh, urban and rural areas of Western Ukraine. Uh, I talked with both migrants and non-migrants, potential migrants and families of migrants, focusing on different aspects of migration, basically talking about their own experiences and about their neighbors and their friends. And based on these interviews, I identified three main practices of migration. The first practice I have called breadwinning migration. Uh, for a man in Western Ukraine uh, today, if you cannot provide for your family at home, you will be expected to go out. Uh, to, and there is massive male short-term circular labor migration that goes from Western Ukraine to Poland and to Russia, to the neighboring countries. And I find it very surprising how little attention aspects of fathering has been given in migration literature. 
if you look at female migration, they talk about nothing else than mothering. Uh, but in my data uh, in Western Ukraine, uh, fathering, I think, is much, much more significant. Uh, the men I interviewed in Western Ukraine would talk extensively about how they could break, uh, strike a balance between being present as a father and as a husband and doing their job to provide, uh, kind of doing the responsibility to grow up to provide for their families. Um, they wanted to spend as much time as possible together with their family, but they recognized it was their duty to go out to earn money. And what is significant about this is that that shapes the way that migration is organized, because the breadwinner migrations, migrants, they do not go far. And they go to countries where it's relatively easy to go back and forth, that has visa arrangements that enables them to go back and forth. Uh, so very often it will be four to six weeks, and seldom more than three months. If somebody goes out and stays for more than a year, sometimes they try to frame it as breadwinning migration themselves. Uh, but their neighbors will not frame it as that. Uh, they will conceptualize it as something else. And very often, they will think or hint that he is having some kind of problems in his marriage. And that is the reason why he is staying away for so long. For even in an area that is high on migration, like Western Ukraine is a high mobility area, uh, mothers and fathers are expected to stay home with their families. And if they leave and stay away for years, something is assumed to be wrong. Another significant characteristic of breadwinning migration is that they conceptualize the good life as being at home. So the breadwinner goes out to earn as much money as possible, as quickly as possible, and then returns back home. Comfort and way of life is not an issue when he describes life, uh, life abroad, unless it is to brag about the sacrifices he's willing to make for his family. And this practice then, can be contrasted against what I term the exit migrants. Exit migrants, they go out to get a fresh start. Uh, they want to get away from the long-term problems in the labor market, and very often away from problems in the family. Uh, for this group of migrants, priorities are totally different. Staying close to Ukraine has very little relevance. Uh, they are more concerned about going to countries that offer a good way of life, employment opportunities for migrants, and legalization prospects. The third practice is made up of adventure seekers. Uh, the migration literature has started to recognize that also migrants from uh, third world countries sometimes go abroad in order just because they want to see the world, meet new people, or go where the food is better and the weather is better. Um, but the ones that cannot afford to go as tourists tend to go abroad and work abroad as labor migrants. They work abroad in order to travel, as opposed to the breadwinner migrants that travel abroad in order to work. Adventure seekers are often, but clearly not exclusively, young people who go after finishing studies and before they have families on their own. Uh, so in contrast to breadwinning migration, bread, breadwinning, breadwinning migration is kind of the migration practice of the responsible ones. The adventure seekers are the irresponsible ones the ones that actually can just go away. This also has consequences for the way this migration is organized because they, nobody really depends on their money. They tend to send home some money because they earn it and their parents are home and could use it. But if they don't earn money for a month or two or three, 
nobody re- it doesn't really affect anybody else. So they can go where nobody else goes. Uh, they can take risks that other migrants cannot. So why is this interesting? I think that this has consequences for how we can do migration research. Because if we think in terms of the facts that quite a lot of migration researchers like to do, um, the scenario that I describe now is one where the different mechanisms or the different practices tend to null each other out. Breadwinning migration is for the responsible. Adventure-seeking is for the irresponsible. Uh, breadwinners do not care about comfort while abroad. The exit migrants care about security. Adventure-seekers about experiences. Uh, breadwinners tend to be short-term. Adventure-seekers kind of short-term, open-ended. Exit migrants are seeking permanent. If we put all of these together in the same analysis, we don't really get any significant effects. We don't understand what the migration flows are all about. But if we identify the different practices first, it's much easier to see the internal logic of the practices. Uh, and approaching migration as practice can also help us see how migration flows tend to continue uh, with these particular characteristics even after the initial reasons tend to disappear. For once the practice is established, there tends to be a certain path dependency because formal and informal institutions uh, develop. Uh, And I argue that the practices come first and then the institutions. It tends to be a tendency in migration research that would look at the institutions or the mechanisms as explanatory factors. I think much more often people start doing things because it makes sense as a social practice. And then the institutions come to reinforce these practices. You have transportation companies, smugglers, um, employers that start looking for workers in particular ethnic niches, uh, ethnic food, or the community of like-minded. But this is institutionalization of practices and not of flows. Uh, It's well documented, yeah, that uh, migrant communities in countries of destination tend to attract other people of the same community. But it's not equally interesting for all different classes and age groups. For instance, a young Pole uh, would not really find them a community of Polish migrants in Norway very attractive. Uh, the young, educated urban Poles I'm, th- I'm thinking of. Because in Norway, you will have middle-aged construction workers from the smaller towns dominating. Uh, the young, educated urban Poles, they go to England and to Ireland, where you have communities of other young educated urban poles uh, as you can hang around with. Hanging around with construction workers in Norway is not equally appealing uh, for the younger ones. And the same mechanism you will have for uh, political activists or families. You're seeking a particular type of migration communities. The same way with transportation facilities. Transportation facilities develop in order to support a particular type depending on um, economic structures, how often people return back and forth, and the family, transnational family practices that people have. And then you develop practices, transportation and border crossing assistance reflecting this. So, but then the idea is that uh, it's not to say that this is a totally new way of approaching it. I think you have lots of good substantive theories on migration, but we should recognize that the substantive theories tend to describe one sub-practice at a time, usually. And then 
being able to say this is this practice I'm describing and recognizing that there will be other parallel practices I think will enhance our ability to predict and explain much better and these differences in practices are not necessarily between regions there are also differences that will be within the same migration flows so starting out identifying practices in order to explain migration we start to identify the different practices within the migration flows and that I think is best done taking the culture of migration the way it's reproduced and thought about in given sense as a starting point thank you